Hey, Tom, thanks for coming on. Um, really appreciate you being my first guest. Um, how's things? It's a pleasure. Um, things are good. Things are good. It's um, Obviously, gyms are closed at the moment, but we're getting lots of work done on the app and on the platform. But um, yes, things are very good right now. Thank you. Very good. Very good. So first of all, I want to introduce you. Um, Tom Hibbert um, is obviously my coach. However, other than that, he's got a massive, massive background. So he's currently the owner of Winning Strength um, online, obviously in person in Southampton and equipment. Um, he's a multiple time log record holder. Um, so under 90s world record holder, under 105 current British record holder. Um, he was, I believe he was three times England's strongest man. Yes, under 90, yeah. Under yeah. 90. And then obviously world strongest man, you came second place under 90 as well, right? Yeah, that was in 20, I want to say 2016. A ridiculous, a very, very long list of accolades, and I'm sure I've missed lots off. And amongst coaching some of the best athletes in the world as well. Um, such a good rap shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Ever, um, ever trying to improve it. Forever. And that's what you're like, obviously. Um, so first thing I wanted to get into, Tom, was your background and obviously like how you actually got into strength sports specifically um, and, and why. Yeah, sure. So strength sports specifically, I actually come from a background of football or soccer, if we've got any Americans in it. Um, because, you know, it's just that that's what I played as a youngster. And, you know, you have that goal of being a pro. And I'm pretty glad I didn't, to be honest. I love, love the path I've taken now. But because I stopped that after university, I, as you know, are quite competitive. So I needed that competitive element in my life. So being a personal trainer at the time, I didn't really want to play football. It wasn't conducive necessarily to getting bigger, which is another one of my goals. You want to be big and strong as a, as a coach. You want to look like your product. So one of my good friends, Aaron McGoyan, said, look, do strongman. You'd love it. You'd fit right in. So I did the classic, oh, I don't think I'm strong enough. So I waited a year kind of getting, just training myself up, getting a little bit familiar with things and then just kind of got into it from there. It was, it was such a good scene back then. At under 90. I'm just not familiar with it now. I'm sure it's just as good, but it was such good fun. We had um, Champs of the Future, which was a first time as comp. Then we had under 90s. It only went up to Europe's at that point. You had um, England's, Brits, then Europe's. That was kind of the classic path. And yeah, the, the main reason I got into it is I didn't have anything to curb my competitive personality. So it kind of kind of uh, helped, helped me do that. The uni one's an interesting one. I, I think... A lot of people that go into a similar, like they become PTs out of university and they're always in the gym, but they play a team sport and they struggle to mm. actually train long term mm. or they get bored of that sport and they're kind of just playing it because they was there. Yeah. Um, so that's quite an interesting one. Yeah. Um, Champs of the Future sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a shame it's not going anymore. So that that was done. Do you remember Mark Clegg? Did you, did you come across him in, in Strongman at all? I haven't come across him per, like in in face to face, but I've definitely heard about. Yeah, he's like I call him the uh, like an English Kuklaev because he kind of did. <laughs> it was it was an amazing weightlifter, an amazing powerlifter, and an amazing strongman. Obviously, not to world level like Kuklaev was, but he he could do all of those sports. And he has a gym, or ha either has or had a gym in Manchester. In fact, his father is or was the strength coach of Man United, which is inter oh. another interesting link. But he's got a gym up there. I think it's Olympic Sports Gym, OSG. Shane German used to train there. Tom Martin used to train there. Not, not maybe all the time, but at least part of the time with Clegg. So they got some great athletes come out of that. And they did this first time as comp called Champs of the Future. 
And it was for first time his only. You can't have done any other comps. Doesn't matter what. You just can't have done anything. So everyone was in the same boat. And they had under 90, under 105 open. And I managed to uh, perform quite well and win that one, um, which was quite quite an achievement. And then they, when, they went, when, go ahead. When you didn't think he was very strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did all right. I did all right. No, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a good, good time. Obviously, it's always, it's always more fun when you're winning. Um, but yeah, I did that comp. And then the next time they hosted it, I think, they either skipped a year or maybe Cleggy was just kind of, you know, taking a step back from Strongman and someone else hosted it in Junction Gym in, again, in the north because it was cold. It was snowing that day. I remember we actually accidentally got locked out of a hotel room in my mate when we went up there. And that's when Aaron Page was just starting out and we took him up and he, he won it. Um, the, 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 he won that one, which was great. But um, it's, it's one of those comps that you wish had stayed around. Yeah, it sounds like a good one. I mean, I bet it was a good setup with someone like Mark Clegg, obviously, being the guy that was holding it. Um, and a great platform for young people, like young athletes to go and perform and then obviously move on, yeah. but at a good standard. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great way of getting people involved in the sport. Um, it's, you know, it's, it avoids that argument of, are you novice, intermediate, or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's such a massive debate that constantly goes on in Strongman. Um, it's like, look, first timers. And then from that, I went straight into qualifiers where I actually only finished seventh. We, we, I mean, for your first time out, it's, it's still massive. I mean, I've got a lot of guys that are looking to do 105 qualifiers this year. And they're like, oh, the weights look so heavy. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm if I'm ready to do it or no. et cetera. I'm like, just get yourself in the deep end because the reality is this year, you place 10th or 9th or 7th. The next year, no. at least you know what you're getting up against. Exactly that, and that, that, that's exactly it. You should just – I wish I hadn't waited an extra year. I wish I'd got involved and learned a lot more a lot sooner. I'd be a year ahead of where I am now, in my opinion. Um, that first qualifier, I think they had something like 260 deadlift from 16 inches, 260. I think the 260 I pulled two, three, maybe four reps, and the winner pulled double figures. Um, yeah, it's always better to throw yourself in the deep end. There's, I mean, that year I luckily did make the final based on two people dropping out, um, and I, you know, my it was my one RM deadlift in the final, and there were, you know nothing put me off. It was a case of can I at least get get one, maybe two. I pulled two on it, but um, you should never be worried about what weights are turning up. You should just train as hard as you can. Exactly, it's just the exposure to those. Uh, it's the exposure to being experienced as a strong man, not necessarily the exposure just to await. Exactly. And that, you know what? That little, not may, maybe fear, maybe apprehension on weights was probably with me for a good two, three, maybe four years. If I think back, you know, I'm up against people like James Ward, like world record holder, massive deadlifter. They're all calling for Dave Mir to put the weights up because they don't want to do cardio. <laughs> I'm calling them to bring it down because it's like, oh, it's going to be quite heavy. Uh, you just want that balance. So that, that little like, holy crap, they put it up again and again. And I mean, you know, under 90 at Worlds, it was 363 kilo yoke. Um, so, it's, you know, it's four times body weight in 2017. It's ridiculous. I mean, back then, I mean, the under 90 seemed very much like the golden era class, like some incredible athletes like yeah. yourself, the wards, obviously Shane Germain. Like, and you look at it and you think, Jesus Christ, these guys, are, like the Brits were very, very, very good. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's when I just came in strong when you guys are all kind of coming to the twilight or like decided to stop. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're ridiculous. Like, I mean, I look at 105 comps now and they're not far off. Like England weights for nineties then, yeah, 
Yeah, the under ninety standard was was absolutely brilliant. People like Trav as well, but don't forget Rob Rob Ward. Even you know momentarily for I think he did it for one year because he didn't want to diet down for that year and he had aspirations of going up a up a weight class. He he won the one hundred fives in England. He, he won England um, with, he, without any sort of exposure to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't think he wasn't. He wouldn't have been a hundred kilos because I remember speaking to him. He, he struggled to get his body weight up because he's he's got a manual job. So for him to eat that many calories, it's tough. It's, it's a big jump as well. Fifty. If you're like around ninety-two kilos and you kind of just don't eat the night before and you're making ninety kilos comfortably, it's a big jump to one hundred five in terms of two yeah. stone. Yeah, especially at Rob's height. He's only five four. Oh, is it? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, he's he's not he's not the tallest, but he's not the shortest. It was a little bit easier for me to put more weight on my frame and kind of get used to it like i'm comfortably 105 now yeah you, i mean you're a lot taller than five foot four so obviously yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i hope he listens to this i'm gonna have to mess him afterwards listen to this while i rip you yeah, yeah. um i don't think that i think they're based pretty close to me are they, they luton based yes yeah 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 james and luton i think rob's just outside he's just he's just moved recently to new it's strange for any southern athletes to ever ask to put weight on. It seems that all the northerners want to put 20, 30 kilos on every every lift. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a rarity. Yeah. Um, the next thing I wanted to get into is how you structure your periodization for those big peaks. Like, because everyone in strong, as you know, in strongman, as a weight class athlete, yeah. it starts off in February. You've got qualifiers. Then you've got England's like a month later. Then you've got. Um, then you've obviously got Britons and UKs, and then you've got Europe's and Worlds. Like it's a long year for a good weight yeah. class athlete. Like, how mm. do you structure that when you were back in, or when you were back in the day competing at that level? I mean, how I did and how I would would probably be different. How did you, and, and how you would now, yeah. and what's the difference? Yeah, so I I would skip the old competition that wouldn't wouldn't sit with a peak. If I was just going to turn, I don't like just turning up. I like to win. <laughs> that was my downfall. Hence the brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that was actually my downfall. One, what, the reason Rob Ward is known as the GOAT is because he always turned up. And, you know, even when he wasn't in good shape, and he'll be the first to admit it, even when he wasn't in good shape, he still pulled out performances and won. Um, you know, there are times when he told me, he's like, oh, so glad I didn't turn up to that because I wasn't in good shape. I was like, oh, crap. Anyway, I wanted to win, and I'd look at the, the year in the hole, and I'd go, right, four weeks – when you've got four weeks between a competition, you do a competition, you should be taking a week off, okay? Even the most, you know, if you've peaked properly, um, competition take it out of you. They, they talk about a rugby game being the equivalent of a car crash. Some of Dave Mears' strongman competitions, I felt like that. Um, so you need, you need adequate time to recover. So I would take at least five days not training. Then, if, then you've only got three weeks left. Well, the last week's only going to be speed work. So now you've got two weeks left. So you can't actually build any strength in them. You can get to the comp. So I would look at it and go, do I want to build for the world's events or do I want to just do Europe's or do I want to... So I would kind of plan and I would skip competitions based on that and how my body was feeling. Um, you know, often you'd pick up teeny tiny niggles. And I think that was, that's one of the major downfalls of some of the heavyweights. I'll, I'll name drop. Mattis Belsek, I believe that's one of the reasons he struggled because he, he, had, he had to, or he felt he had to keep on competing because obviously it's his livelihood. He does another one and another one and another one. So he doesn't have enough time to drop back down and build back up. Um, you look at some of the better strongmen that have been around for ages and ages. They don't necessarily try and peak. I know Z, Z we're not going to, you know, he's, he's a freak of nature. Um, you know, his 90%, 85% would win most competitions. Um, and he would compete pretty much all year round. He'd already built his strength. But a lot of people, you need to be looking at dropping back down, building back up. So back in the day, something I probably wouldn't change as much would be I wouldn't worry about not going to comps. 
or if I went to a comp, I would do it as a run out and not worry about where I placed. That was the main thing. If I knew I wasn't in great shape, I wasn't confident. If I'm not confident, I'm not going. Makes sense. It's, it's interesting, obviously, competing myself at the moment and obviously the, the allure of lots of competitions and lots of titles and lots of exposure versus you going and doing very, very well. It, it, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. And I see a lot of athletes, especially when they start, they're like, oh, I want to do this comp and I want to do this comp. I've signed up to 25 comps. And I'm yeah. like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, and again, even at the pro stage, you look at um, Matthew Spelsack, obviously, we know that those at the time when he was competing at the highest level, the weights were just getting ridiculously heavy. Obviously, yeah. they seem to have pulled down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And to do multiple Arnold qualifiers, because obviously it's your job, yeah. it's detrimental to your long-term health. Yeah, absolutely. For a beginner, I think the basic premise that I would run, it's been difficult because of the pandemic, but some of the, some of the clients I've got here, I'd be like, look, try and do four comps a year. So you compete every 12 weeks. It's enough to build up to something build up a new level of strength, compete, see what happens, and then drop back down and, and, and take it from there. But the other thing I always recommend the athletes is don't just pick comps based on location. or the, Pick them based on the event. If you're a beginner, you need to expose yourself to as many different events as possible. Different events will make you train differently. Different events will make you obviously uh, receive a different stimulus during the competition day, so you get used to doing an event. Sometimes you have no way of doing that event, so you get an idea of how to train for that event without doing the specific one, which can help allay a lot of fears. Sometimes the best events I've gone into, I didn't train once, like power stairs. I've never trained it once. I've I've been pretty bloody good at it um, when it's come up. Um, But yeah, beginners, four comps a year is plenty. I think the national and international qualifiers, you either have to pick or the organizers need to kind of have a consistent day, consistent month they always do it in. Like, obviously, the ideal would be um, uh, England's, Britain's, Europe's, world's. So if they're spaced out evenly, maybe every eight weeks, and then you can at least have an off-season, then you'll be able to build some strength and progress. It's, it's very, very... I mean, for weight classes, it's great because they do do that somewhat obviously Europe's is a very strange one that they just drop in every like it's not every year is it always yeah well it hasn't seemed to be they just kind of drop it in and it seems very close to worlds and very close to between Brits mm. um I mean for open athletes it's it's a very bizarre setup isn't it <laughs> it's just yeah. it's, it's completely all over the place as an open athlete so if I'm looking at someone like Hixie it, it's it's two two events a year um, it's Worlds plus one other. Usually it's an Arnold's. That's what you're trying to go for and a qualify for that. But other than that, you know, unless you really love a certain comp, like I know Hicksie loves Brits. He wants to win that again. Like He likes the idea of Europe, but he loves, he loves Brits and loves that competition. So for it's me... It's a one day as well. Yeah. Watching him at, at, at UK's, it didn't look like he had a fun time. No, no, especially, especially, <laughs> after, he, especially after he clipped his heel on the first event on the... Um, yeah. The um that that yoke bless him. Um, I mean, it's it's just a very very tough setup. I mean, Ollie competed there this year. Mm. Um, who's at my gym now? And so many heavy events in a, in a three day period. Yeah. Oh, oh, the UKs in general. If you win that, you deserve it. Oh my word. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> but it's also you know managing injuries. You know you have to manage performance. There'll be a lot of events where people, you know, they've already qualified. They'll do one lift, and move on. I think you can be a little bit more tactical in that. But yeah, that is a brutal, brutal. Um, but Glenn Ross is like that. Glenn Ross was, you know, the strongest to win. Um, Glenn Ross loved that kind of um, setup, didn't he? 
very, yeah, it's, it's it's very very different in terms of competition compared to others. Like even the logs when they're when the two hundred kilo log is just two hundred kilos on its own with no weight mm. loaded, it's it's a very different lift. Yeah. That still hasn't been pressed. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it was close. He pushed it over. He strict pressed it over his head last uh, in that UK's that one year, but it still hasn't been pressed. Chris, did, did Chris use it? As yeah, well? Chris, 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 Chris got on it against him. Hicksy put it over his head. Chris hit the one ninety. That was a that was a PB and a comp, a lifetime PB. So for him, and he had two hundred in him. It's just as you say, after three days of competing, after this one, this one, yeah, and also after tailoring up ten kilos yeah. in his obviously in his peak up into doing yeah. it, it's a lot. It ties you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he cleaned it. He kind of there wasn't much left in the legs. I don't think at that point. Oh, I'm not surprised. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask you was something that a lot of people don't know about you, and I know obviously from working with you, is you've got a very stoic mentality. Right. <laughs> and you're, <laughs> you're big on the brain, mm-hmm. so obviously you spent a lot of time. And I wanted to discuss, because I know so many people have an issue with it, and it's an underlying issue of mine, mm-hmm. is how do you deal with not being satisfied by hitting PBs or training blocks, even though they're going well? Uh, you have to fall in love with the process, not the outcome. It's funny you talk about this. I've had this exact conversation with a client this morning. And obviously lockdown doesn't help things. Like uh, Things are just tougher in lockdown. Although I've seen a massive lift in people's mood since Boris's announcement, was it two weeks ago? The I don't know if you've noticed, but the days are now getting longer. It just, everything just seems like... Hope. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? It's that. It's like uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Literally, is there for people, but... You've got to love the process. You have to be able to step back. You've got to be able to step back and reflect instead of being in it. Oh, I missed the weight. It's like, okay, what did I miss the weight? What did you do? What can you improve? Um, but for, for me, the, 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 it's just a simple answer. It's if you love the process of training and building up, um, if you love the process of leaving that little bit in the gym rather than knowing that you maxed out, um, it's much easier. With regards to not hitting, not not achieving certain things, block to block, yeah. you, there's usually a reason behind it. Block. So with periodization, block one can feed into block two. So sometimes I would use that with an athlete, and I'll tell them, look, this block is about setting a seam, setting a base, and we're going to do. You know, there's a way of explaining it to the client, but maybe we're building six RMs or five RMs. That's the end goal. If we can build something bigger at a five and be in and around where we want to be. The next block is when you're going to hit your all-time PBs. But block one doesn't build into block three necessarily. It's usually eight weeks at a time. Um, but often, you know, I, I've got some clients that, you know, they'll hit a deadlift PB three, eight week, three or four eight-week blocks in a row, which is just a case of, you know, you've, you've managed to periodize properly for them. It depends on the age of the athlete. As you get older, Tra- go ahead. Training age or physical Sorry, training age. age. The more years you've got under your belt of training or even, you know, any type of training. Um, I say any type of training. If you've been training like, a, like an idiot for 10 years and it's quite easy to get results with you. Um, but the, lo- the, ho- the older your training age, the less you're going to peak. I'll peak once, maybe twice on the log this year. You just, it doesn't happen. This is a really interesting one, is that. Definitely for you. Because yeah. um, Glenn Pendley actually prophesied this, that he believed... The inter, uh, novice, intermediate, and and obviously advanced. We're not talking strongman. We're talking just athletes in general. Yeah. Um, the a novice would be someone that can recover very quickly from a certain stimulus. Mm-hmm. Uh, intermediate would be someone that recovers slower from a certain stimulus, and an advanced will be someone that literally 
cannot recover from a certain stimulus, such as when their percentages are so high. Um, in like, for example, you can peak twice a year because you're just not going to get the same yeah. response. And that's how we categorize training. I think it's very, it's, it's a very interesting concept in comparison to most people. Like, oh, you've been training for five yeah. years, but what exactly were you training yeah. with? How exactly were you yeah. training? It's often, it should, it should be the first question you ask depending on who the client is, but often you can ignore it um, as a coach. <laughs> just, it's, it's not an egotistical thing, but I look at their training, I'm like, I don't need to hear anymore. Um, or you can just look at the way they lift and you know, I don't, you know, I know what we're going to be doing. Um, yeah. That's, that, that is something that's interesting about you. And obviously you've got, a, I don't think it's a skill. I think it's the amount, the amount of years you've spent in the trenches is you've got a real, a real knack for picking the right periodization mm. or, running running the correct thing for the correct client rather than just having a certain protocol i just use it yeah so i've got some principles on that that maybe we can we can run through now so the first thing i'll say is you should <laughs> you start as a personal trainer as a rep counter right so you just one yeah. two two okay, fine three. <laughs> and you get to whatever but you, you should be a rep watcher does that make sense so don't count i don't count I tell the client you can count. I I, I still try to count, <laughs> but I always I'm actually known as the worst counter. Yeah. They're like I've done six. I was like you've done two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it's because <laughs> I've been watching. I'm like you don't understand. I'm counting tempo. I'm watching yeah. how you do it. I'm also doing this. I'm trying yeah. to cue you. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I I'm done counting reps, people. That's that's their problem. I don't look at their rest period. I can just tell. Um, but oh, where's I going with that? Lost my train of thought. Anyway, doesn't matter. So you should be a rep watcher. You should be looking at. It's, it's a movement analysis. Normally I'm looking at the technique and the quality of the technique. I'm looking at the speed of the bar. And then I'm looking at different phases within the movement, i.e., you know, you know, what does the eccentric phase look like? What does the concentric phase look like? What does the amortization phase, so the turnaround between eccentric into concentric phase look like? How long are they resting at the top? Uh, and different things like that. Um, it's a case of don't just count reps. What's going on with the client? Even if you just note stuff down, you don't really know what it means. You'll start to figure things out. But it just comes from years of watching clients. Like I used to have – so when I went on the Poliquin Performance Certification, did you ever do any of that? Uh, no. I kind of came in like – I remember looking at – I've been obviously around multiple people that have been obsessed yeah. with Charles. And there was a time when I used to stay away from it as much as possible because I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's yeah, too much. It's yeah, too yeah. much. Yeah. I'm like, they're like, I'm like, why, why are you spooning all that funny looking stinky oil yeah. into your mouth? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Why are you do? Why are you taking that? It's, oh, it's fish oil. How, how often do you take that? Oh, five yeah. times a day. I'm like, oh, okay. So I, and then the more and more I got into sort of like, I would call it optimal mm -hmm. training, um, the more I was interested in it and the more I kind of understood it a lot more. And then when I first met you was when I really started to get interested in it. I'm like, well, because, well, Tom obviously rates Charles Polygon massively and I rate Tom. So Charles must be very good. Started reading his stuff. I mean, we had a conversation. I was like, what should, what should I read? He was like, well, just go back through Charles' yeah. articles and start yeah. from number one and read every article. I was like, okay. <laughs> so... And then, then by the time I'd done that, I was going, oh, I really wish I went on Charles' yeah, courses. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, there's no chance no. of that now. But I think the Poliquin group still run it the same way. Either way, the point I was making was, it was Charles was never on the ones or twos, but his, his, um, 
uh, teachers, Owen Lacey, John Connor, or John O'Connor, John Connor, I think, and then Andre Benoit on it. And I remember Owen talking about how they would be able to watch somebody bench press the bar and know they're 1RM. And I, I was like, oh, that's cool. I wonder if I can ever get to do that. And you can ask my coaches. I'll do it every now and then. It's just weight selection. Charles has been known to be able to, to perfect weight selection for someone during a session based on what he wants to get out. And again, most of that is watching the speed of the bar and the effort involved. Um, That's like an Abadjev thing. Abadjev just sitting there in a corner yeah. on a chair going, mere yeah. 200 kilos. And then that's exactly, it's like, that's how you know someone is experienced enough when they can predict yeah. jumps very easily. But it's also... I know when you coach me, for example, you give me a spread. I know how to select my own weights because I've spent enough time training other people yeah. and training myself. Now, when I give like more beginner athletes a spread or let mm -hmm. them choose, it will depend on their personality type yeah. as to what they do. Yeah. Not necessarily because they're not they're not experienced weight selectors. And then you'll get the feedback like three weeks later, like, please, could you just do my weight selection for me? <laughs> because it is, it's, it's hard. It's a very difficult skill. It is. It's made even hard. Like, I don't like to do many of those. Some clients I do, I give them an idea, but I, it, I'm not a massive believer in doing a kid's homework for them and expecting them to improve. I'm a massive believer in teaching, educating. Sometimes you have to lean that way first and then I can go, right, what do you think it would be? And I'll be like, yeah, bang on, use that. And, and, and progress from there. Um, but you can, going back to the, the watching reps, you can tell a lot from the quality of the rep and the speed of the rep. And I think people need to look at the speed of the rep. And don't worry about what it equates to initially. Just go, what did that rep look like? What did you notice in that rep? Did you notice a movement here, here or there? I just watched Owen deadlift and I was like, ah, you know, you, 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 know, you didn't see this or you, you may not have felt this. And we had to put it down to really slow-mo. It's something you just see as a split of an eye. It just wasn't perfect rep and the bar was rolling forward. So we're like, right, you're just a, you're probably a millimeter too close to the bar on your deadlifts, which is probably, you know, taking five kilos away. Not a huge amount, but it's a, it's a percentage. But this I know you're a stickler yeah. for rep speed because I I've heard you say multiple times that if someone's warming up and they're not pulling mm. as quickly as possible, you'll stop them, drag them yeah. back and make them do it. And I, and I, it's something I've looked at, I, I come across it about three years ago, is, is measuring rep speed, obviously expensive yeah. to have the device. Um, but you spoke to Andy Bolton about it, and I remember him saying that his biggest deadlifts, he wouldn't even go that heavy. Exactly, that because, the, and Louis talks about velocity of the bar in, in huge, huge depth, Louis Simmons. And you can, you can tell a lot from it. So Andy, the, the reason being is when your body doesn't know what's on the bar. Okay, you, you know from what you're looking at, if you blindfold you, you would you might be able to kinesthetic feedback and feeling, but you don't know, your body doesn't know what's on the bar. Your body understands motor unit recruitment. Now, motor unit recruitment is dictated by intent on speed or intent on effort, which is why you see a lot of X's in programs where I'm like, I want you to lift it maximally. Regardless of speed of the bar, I want you to give it maximal intent. Then whatever happens with your maximal intent can give me an idea on what's going on. So if we go back to talking about speed and what, what, what we're looking at, so you've got starting strength, acceleration strength, speed strength, strength. There's so many different velocities that are involved. You can tell what kind of – you should be looking at what – this is what Louis says. Worry about speed of the bar, not the weight. Okay, Don't call it X, Y, and Z. Worry about what strength quality you're training. And this is, this is one of the things I want to be able to present in a course 
So I can go, look, these are the strength qualities involved in this lift or sport or movement pattern. This is how you, you uh, assess them and this is how you improve them. Um, if we take a deadlift, you've obviously got starting strength because it has to move. Then you've got the ability to accelerate and then you've got uh, it moves into speed strength. And then obviously strength speed might be needed if you're one of those people that grind out the bar. But Dietmar Schmidt, like, uh, so I, another thing I do is I don't let people grind a lot of reps. Sometimes it'll be one rep out of one set for that exercise. So if you've got 10 sets of three on a squat, you can only grind one of them and it would, that would be the end of it. And Dietmar Schmidt-Bleicher, it's a quote I saw recently, was whatever you do on that exercise last is remembered best. So if you finish the session with a grinding rep, your body's going to remember to grind that. And I've been saying this for years. I'm like, your body has this innate ability. You just see it. You got, oh, I always grind deadlifts. It's because you never fucking train speed strength. Simple. But it, it shows that it, it does give evidence to suggest that after your maximal work, maybe you should chuck in some speed, uh, now some that, speed reps. Now that, I'd agree with that, that but again, if we go back to you talking about me knowing what periodization schemes to use, if you do strength, then speed strength, as in, sorry, if you do maximal strength, then speed strength, you will promote speed strength increases mainly. If you do... Ma- I see, because you've, you've yeah, woken Yeah, and the potentiation is great. If you obviously do a lot of maximal strength, you've got no juice left for the speed strength. So if you tickle the maximal strength with one, two, three sets to potentiate... So let's say we're doing deadlifts and you build up to 220 for three and it's, you know, it's a three, four RM. Then you back down and you start doing 120 for triples against bands or whatever. Your body's potentiated because it's kind of been, it's enough of a stimulus. It's not a fatiguing effect. So when you do maximal strength and speed strength in the same session like that, you actually get a speed strength benefit. That is the way a lot of athletes should be trained once they reach a decent level. The problem with athletes is they're all fucking weak. Their absolute strength sucks. So you've got all these strength coaches. Like All you have to do is get them stronger. There's no point even looking at strength qualities because they're weak as fucking piss. Yeah. So if you take a football player, fuck, they don't squat. I know a guy that's been a... Do you know what? Football uh, football strength and conditioning coaches. They're babysitters. uh, I don't know if they like it. I Just babysitters for 30 minutes uh, where the coach goes, do you mind just taking these lads off and putting them on the mats for 30 minutes while we we talk? It's babysitting. It's based on whether they want to do it. It's also based on the ethos of the coach as in the head coach. So let's say at Liverpool, let's say Jurgen Klopp's like, I don't really believe in the fact that people should, you know, footballers should strength train. That strength coach has not got a fucking say. And that's what um, I know the strength coach at Salento when Pochettino was there, that's the problem he had. And he's like, it was fucking shit. That's why he left. Because it's all very cool being strength coach at Salento because it's a great club. They bring up news, blah, blah, blah. But if you can't fucking say your piece, it's a waste of time. But I know a guy that's gone. You're not, no, you're not, got, not doing anything. Yeah, it's, it's the opposite. We talk about yeah. rugby strength coaches literally get the run of the field. They tell the boys yeah. when they're playing, when they're not, if they're fit, what they can do. And then football strength coaches like, what... have nothing. No, This is it. Why I think you're the same job? personality as me where you want to self-actualise. You want to achieve something. You want to be able to say, oh, I did this. This is cool. If you just want to pick up a paycheck and fucking babysit people and um, you know, crack on, become a football strength coach at the moment. And again, it's not everywhere. I know it's not. I know that Bayern Munich have a great... Um, history of it. I know that AC Milan have a great history of it. I know it's not everywhere, but the clubs I've I've been like one club recently. I will just say a French club that I had a rehab expert or I know a rehab expert who went into it. Oh my god, they can't even squat the fucking bar. They just they fail the squat test immediately. They don't need anything but absolute strength. You don't need to worry about speed, strength, plyometrics, this, that, and the other. They just need to squat a couple of times a week. Simple, done. And a, a whole, whole yeah. lot of hamstring yeah. mobility. Yeah, and, well, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, their ankle mobility is some of the worst 
I've ever heard about. I've had some feedback on uh, recent recent stuff. Um, but yeah, going back to what you said about being able to pick the right periodization scheme, it does come from experience. You can teach it, but one of the main principles is what have you done recently? And it's got you nowhere. Well, why are you fucking doing it again? You need to pick something different. So a lot of times, if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yes. So if we can squeeze another 5%, 2% out of a protocol, like a conjugate method with whatever, we'll do it. If I see burnout, I'm like, oh, fuck, we're switching it. You're burning out. So I drop the conjugate method. We do maximal strength just once, maybe drop the range a little bit, and you have two hypertrophy sessions instead. So there's so many ways of doing it. The biggest thing I can say is once, once you get to a level of, of obviously this, this podcast might be uh, sent to more strength athletes. Once you get to a certain level of I'm strong, you can't go heavy day in, day out. Two days heavy, two days speed, or two days hypertrophy, and you will see fantastic results. I think a lot of people get, a lot of strength athletes as well think yeah. it's just about maximum strength or like yeah. just using the max effort method from looking at Westside principles, because they do, because Westside's <laughs> cool, right? Everyone thinks Westside's cool. Right, they do. Like, it's just inevitable. Big tattooed guys listen to heavy metal. Um, but the repetition method as well, like going hit like five by fives at like 90%, or like what, what potentially was your 90%, and leaving you mm. and your CNS in absolute tatters cannot be done every no. week. When no, especially, well, not, not, just, not just every week. These guys are trying to do it at three, four times a week. It's just not going to happen. Like, you're not going to be able to do frequency like that for uh, those percentages for three times a week. It's just impossible. A, a and the difficulty a lot of obviously. people, especially strength athletes, have is they want to chase numbers because it's fun. Cool. But there comes a point where you're like, right, am I not progressing? You need to not chase heavy numbers on those. Do your speed work, but chase hypertrophy numbers, which is what I talk about all the time. Chase, you know, if, it, if it's your second press or your second upper body session, you've done your heavy log or axle press, whatever you're doing that Viking. And then the other session can be repetitions on, you know, dumbbell press. What are your rep PBs on dumbbells? I don't care about your triples and singles. It's pointless kind of dumbbell press. And I'm talking about a seated overhead dumbbell press, like an 80 degree, not a, not a circuit. Yeah, yeah, not a circuit, not which is a skill lift, but we can talk about that, didn't we? Um, it's, you know, what are your 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 rep maxes on an 80 degree dumbbell press with a neutral rip? Track those. And if those go up, I guarantee you'll see uh, improvements in your um, uh, log press or whatever it is. Yes. They feed them, right? They're all those assistant lifts and yep. accessories. And that, that's the way to look at it. And that gets people, or at least certain strength athletes, out of that little rut where they kind of, oh, I'm just going to tick over the speed session, just do it, and the hypertrophy. It's like, no, no, get excited about improving that fucking lift, especially as, as you get older in the training age. I, And that feeds into being the on the SATA side thing. It's like, if you don't enjoy training, I, I know people that are like, yeah, I love strongman because we lift heavy stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's like the caveat. I was, you have to, the guys that came from bodybuilding absolutely love yeah. the accessories. The guys that came into strength sports from maybe a sport and were like, yeah, well, you have to do these, these accessories that you might think of bodybuilding. Um, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do one. And they, and they like kind of rush through them. I'm just thinking, oh, I won't stick to the tempos or I won't push the weights up. They're like, yeah. why is my top lift not, not increasing in weight? I'm like, well, there's obviously something going wrong. Let's look at what you're doing in your accessories. Oh, wait, no. there is zero intent well, when you use these. You're just <laughs> overloading the primary lift. Yeah, or they're skipped. Or like, oh, I was too tired. I went, oh, could, so did you come back in later and do them? Or like the next day and you rest? I'm like, no, nah, I just skipped them. I'm like, okay, so how do you think this main lift is going to get better when we're not doing all the, the small auxiliary lifts to improve it? But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But they're hard. Some of it comes from following... 
and this isn't necessarily how all of them train, but some of it, some of it comes from following the the bigger, stronger guys. But some of the bigger, stronger guys are getting stronger not because of their training methods. They're getting stronger because they're adding body weight because they're in unlimited capacity. If you can, if you're able to go from 130 to 140 to 150, of course you can get stronger each year. It's fucking easy at that. If there'll become a limit. There will be a ceiling at which point you'll be like, oh, uh, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you can't, when you're wobbling about, ability, <laughs> sleep, and all those things. Yeah, uh, yeah or it's or it's anabolic. Blood pressure says more, no. more, more. Um, or they're doing crazy things from early age, but you know, you, you can't look at them and think that's the way to train necessarily, especially in a body weight category, because you've only got so much weight you can gain. So therefore you need to improve the signal to the muscle. So that is all about um, certain maximal strength methods. Exactly. Um, the next, well, this leads nicely into a, the next question that I have for you is, why did you create Winning Strength Online? Now, one, someone, I was speaking to someone about the fact that I had you on the podcast and I'm starting this podcast and you'd be the first person. And um, it was like, why, what, like, why do you respect Tom so much and what sought you out to use him as a coach? And my main thing was, I know a lot about periodization. However, I don't know nowhere near as much as you. So that was like a, that was a thing that I needed in a coach and almost a mentor. And, and then every time I ask you, I'd be like, I'd ask you a question and you'd rattle off information. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I remember always saying to you, why don't you have this all in one place? Or do you have this written down in a book somewhere? Because you must forget 50% of the stuff you know. So leading on to yeah, so why really, did you really create online? Is, online? Well, the, the membership is an online platform where it's information tailor-made for people to who, who want to get stronger. I put a decent amount on uh, yours at YouTube, social media and um, the website has free articles so you've got loads of free content but the 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 point of their the online membership is just to take people who want to go that little bit further we don't want to invest in their training that little bit more so you've got everything from programs to how to peak properly supplements nutrition and things like that but i just you know i i love being able to offer free advice and educate people um but obviously it comes a point where, you know, you should probably look to monetize your expertise. So the way the, the way the platform's evolving is it, it, we wanted to get it up and get it running and just put loads of, loads of quality on there. The, the next move for it is the, the blueprint, which is the, the training app, which is going to be free for anyone to use. But obviously if you want a coach's platform, it'll be a paid app. Um, but it's to get the programs in there. So it's a bit more readily available. So, I, you know, behind the scenes, before the apps launch, I've already got, I think we've got 12 to 15 press programs. Right now, there's only the winning press, which is one program. Um, it's three blocks. But there'll be, there'll be a good 12 to 15 based on whether you want to train axle, log for reps, log for max, uh, bench press, depending on weakness, military press, whatever, whatever press you want. So that, that's the next step. It's just to give people more options on, on the ability to train, in my opinion, properly. But then the next step after that, I want to be able to offer an on, online course on, is exactly what you're saying. Is like how do we, how can I teach my periodization system so people can get more results? It's just, you know, giving back and going, look, these are the, this is what I know I can help you with. And periodization is, is definitely one of them. Yeah, I think that's massive in terms of coaches. Like, I think it's something that is missing. I think there's lots of 
mentors out there that are teaching how to grow your business or how to get more clients or how yeah. to systemize your business. <laughs> you know the ones. Um, but there's not many actually teaching you how to coach correctly or what periodization protocols um, to use, when they're effective, why they should be used, um, what clients can use them. Um, I mean, a big one that I see is some multiple times, oh, can you have a look at this program? What do you think? And I just look at it and go, it's terrible. And they go, how do you know it's terrible? You just looked at the first row. Oh, there's no tempo in it. Just the basic principles. Like, that will be on the website. How can you dictate? Yeah. It'll be on the website how can you free. dictate how it wants to perform? Every exercise should have to <laughs> in my opinion. I mean, you know, even, even in bodybuilding, it becomes a useful variable. You may want to use it every time, but it's a useful variable to achieve failure at a set percentage, you know, thus leading to hypertrophy. But, you know, even strongman lifts, I put X0, X0, or 1, 0, 1, 0, because maybe the cadence I actually want on a unilateral farmer's walk is a walk as opposed to a sprint and all that. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's something I've always enjoyed. Um, the, the way the system will work is it'll be explaining strength qualities, then how to assess those strength qualities in that individual, and then how to improve that, those strength qualities in the individual. So it'll be like a three-stage process. You'll be able to learn the system and then be able to implement it um, on the client. <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely be on it. Sounds, I mean, it's something that definitely is needed. Um, I, that system of assessing, then using, and then assessing again is definitely the ideal, and not many people use yeah. it. Most people just go in blind and whatever else. Um, so, what is going to be next for oh Southampton? Winning strength, winning strength Southampton. So, just going to keep it as it is. Or I think I got another hmm. eighteen to twenty-four months left on my lease, and I haven't. It's it's a, it's a cat twenty-two. I don't pay a lot for the size of the facility I have. So I don't really want to move before then, but the goal is to buy the next facility. So um, I know I've bought a few Lego plates recently, but I'm saving, saving, saving as much as I can. <laughs> a little bit of spending um, to, to then do that. So I want to move to a bigger facility. Um, I want to train more strength athletes, more strongmen, more powerlifters, more weightlifters. I have the goal of moving to another facility and having a lot more strength athlete base in there. Um, I do have a major, major goal of being able to employ strength athletes that will be based off certain online systems going up and running and then being, uh, being able to fund that um, and training them essentially full time so they can receive. But the goal is to give the athlete what I didn't really get access to. So I've got access to a lot of things, but I have to work all around it as well as train. Whereas these guys would just, they'd be employed to train um, and do anything extra if they wanted to. Um, and then have oversee the, the training of strongmen powerlifters and weightlifters maybe there'd be a head coach running that and i would oversee and help them yeah i mean it's, it's the dream isn't it it's a ideal and i mean it's great for to drive the brand as well having that many athletes access mm. to a perform on a, a national global scale and also access to experiment and research on in regards to yeah. seeing what protocols work with certain levels of athletes and, and when you when you employ them you can then train them three times a day i mean it's very difficult to get any athletes yeah. currently in our space that can train you say that but people one, have one today. <laughs> you say that? it just it takes <laughs> it. you yeah, say that but, is that, but there's also convincing them like, you've got a day off <laughs> You know, I, I spoke to some of the some of the boys that trained here about it, and you know, I said, look, this is this is a way to get to the next level. 
And I'm not saying you have to train multiple times a day every day, but I said, but sometimes you have to do an overtraining protocol to create a bigger base for the future. And I, I did this in abundance when I was uh, younger, day cures, accumulation, all this overtraining stuff. And I think that built a massive base for me because I'm not a genetic freak by any means. Um, I think I've been able to work hard and you know just get lucky. Um, but you just tell them, look, you can train three times a day on your day off. Why not do it? Um, Aaron Page used to do it. He had a great work ethic uh, for training when he was when he was around uh, at my facility. And I pointed that out to them because obviously he was on a decent stage at the end. Um, and sometimes you've got to take that little step to get that little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I mean what else are you doing? I guarantee no Luke Richardson right now is not training four times a week. I know he's not. That's why I'm because he's gone all in. This is his job now. And I know Shane's training him accordingly. I was listening to it. I was actually listening to something earlier that was um, Lalas talking on a podcast. And he believed that possibly Luke went I, into world overtraining. I couldn't tell from what he did. Yeah, he was shagged by the end of it, but he'd had a long year. First year in Strongman. Maybe. Look, Shane and I are the first to look at a yeah, program, exactly. and I will speak to a client and be like, look, I dropped the ball there. And I'm sure Shane, if he, he, I think he did. He said it about the 18-inch deadlift. He's like, look, I didn't think he'd need it, but I've learned from that, and he'll move on. So as long as they stay together, I think Luke will do great things. I'm not saying that Shane is the, the catalyst, and he has to be, but I think if they continue to work hard together and learn together, they'll be fine. But Lalas could be right. Um, I'm sure Shane would admit to it, whether he was in peak shape or just outside of it. I'm sure Luke was happy with the result regardless. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I didn't think he was overtrained. <laughs> I just thought that some of the events were different to what he was used to. I mean, I know, I know I've know, i never pulled an 18-inch for years and then yeah, I yeah. tried it when I got as well. Yeah. And I was like, why is it not moving? <laughs> it's like it's not moving off the block. So I actually disagree. Yeah, I think yeah sometimes controversial it, but, opinions get a I mean, bit of everyone traction opinion, on right? social media. Yeah, but um, I mean, he won. He won Europe, and yeah. I mean, he qualified for yeah. uh, uh, world. He's, he's, um, as they the say, he's the future. He's got a good, year. amazing, got a good future in front of him. <laughs> three I would toes. Do at least three toes to qualify for <laughs> yeah. world finals in general. <laughs> I mean, I nearly yeah. lost a finger. Yeah, I nearly yeah. lost a finger, finger two eight? days ago to try and deadlift. So I'd definitely give away three toes. <laughs> yeah, they're horrible. Um, the, the last question I wanted to touch on with you is winning strength equipment. Now, I know huh. you you use so many different equipment uh, tools and you love equipment. I, I have a similar love myself and it's, oh, I'm like, where'd you get that from? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Where'd you get that from? Oh, I imported it from the US and it cost this much. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Tom. Um, what is your plan with equipment? Have you, have you got a plan to launch a range? Have you got a plan to do... So there's not much that can be created like, that's new, but like there's that. stuff that can be improved based on lack of options, as you just said, within uh, the UK and Europe. Like, to, for me to get fat bells, it would cost me, I think I quoted, it's three to four times just on shipping and import. Like the fat bells are not, impre not, not, not impressively expensive. I looked at a set and I'm like, well, that's essentially a set of dumbbells. And I was like, well, that's actually a good price. I pay that. So I called him up, got the quote, and I was like, can you do the shipping? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I'm not saying we're going to produce fat belts, but I'm just saying that there's certain stuff that isn't manufactured to a high quality. 
um, in the UK and sometimes it's just not available and it's not hard to make. So I'll be working with an engineering company. It's not just a you know, bog standard welders. This is you know, proper engineering. So it does take a little bit of time to, to get off the floor plus the pandemic has made other things. Um, but yeah, no, we're going to be looking at specialist barbells to start with. And then moving from there, there's some ideas on how to make certain equipment better uh, based on how I train people, which is essentially it, right? I'm looking to, for, it's what Louis did. How can I make my athletes better? So I've, you know, figure out a way. This kit doesn't offer that. I want to put it on it. Therefore, you know, the the concept comes up. Nothing's going to be nothing's going to be patented around this out this world. It's just a case of we want to be able to offer um, higher quality and different options that people don't necessarily have access to. It's definitely one of the things that is missing in the UK, like especially in our realm like fabrication is great but it's just not the level that needs to be for yeah. that equipment yeah. a be long lasting i think a lot of the stuff is the quality we need more made but it's not a disrespect to them but more made by a welder and an engineer from an engineering point of view granted you don't want to over engineer simple pieces but there's some stuff that engineers know and can do that you know blows things out of the water Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. You can't open it. Your belt squat is over. You have to go through this process with, <laughs> with those guys and be aware of it. it. Needs to just be take, taken back. I mean, as soon yeah. as I saw it, I was like, "This is amazing!" And then you're like, "Yeah, it's amazing." Um, it's kind of, it's kind of yeah. my fault. And I was like, oh, "Well, it's, a, it's like the ATP, but obviously on a swivel. I mean, it's great." Um, yeah, oh, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, right to finish off, I'm going to do a quick fire. Um, yeah, so I'll ask you a few. I'll ask you a few different questions. You just have a quick answer. Charles Poliquin. So Jeff first one is Sober. three biggest influences on your career. Uh, my career, uh, it's probably Louis Louis Simmons now, even though I haven't been able to meet him. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Athlete or um, top three best Ooh. athlete you've ever coached. Right. I go athlete. I was, it was, because you said, ath- yeah, you said oh, athlete. He's done so Why many did you choose things. Owen? He's done ultra endurance. We're talking 70 miles uh, one day, doing it again the next day, that kind of thing. And he's also just, he's verging on the world record deadlift for uh, at the IPF at the body weight of 69 or whatever, the, the weight of 67, I think. So, yeah. Oh, and he was, he was, he was a, um, he was a he just has done fuck he's outside you can probably hear me he can do so many things he's one of these people that got you if you you can just set his mind to anything like he does web design and photography and movie editing as well as all these other things djing like he's just one of a kind yeah yeah if he wasn't five foot one he'd be a it sounds one. like he should be a yeah <laughs> best strength um, athlete right. I've coached. Then we'll go best strength athlete you've coached. It's probably, yeah, it's got to be Aaron Page. Yeah, I think it's you, because, I mean, sorry, I've uh, coached Hixie and Hixie's well. got to Worlds and Matthias. Um, uh, Chris Morgan, all these other heavies. But he's just, he had that little bit more. It just, you know, it's a shame I didn't, wasn't able to train him for the last three, four years. I'm not saying he had a bad job, but I would love to have seen where I could have gotten. 
I think it's personality type. It's not necessarily the fact that of where they've got to. It's definitely the personality and, and how far they're willing to push themselves. I think a lot mm. of people are like, oh, but so-and-so won this. It's like, it's more to do with yeah. Yeah. the application and aptitude of that individual. Post-weighing meal um, is normally... Post-weighing meal. This is quite boring. I, I'd normally sip a shake for half an hour. It's it's really it's really boring. If we look at the meal after, it's just all carbs. It's the quickest releasing <laughs> carbs I can get. Actually, it's 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 the shake alongside fruit. So it's really boring for Beige. the first half an hour to an hour, um, and it's sipping because I once necked it and I had an explosive situation. Uh, didn't shit my pants, but quite quite close. Um, oh fuck! It just went straight through. I was like, "Oh my god!" You just gasped up and lay there. You sip it, you're fine. But yeah, sorry, it's quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think a lot of weight class athletes will completely agree with that and know exactly how bad it is. Um, the athlete you would most wow. like to coach? Any athlete or strength athlete? Any athlete? Oh my god! Who am I to coach? And why? So it's probably someone like a Luke Richardson who has the the potential. But then I also, you know what? I like I like bringing people back. I'd love to coach Big Z. Right, let's, let's take it a different way because I think Big Z is kind of not on the way down necessarily, but he's not going to win Worlds. But let's say Brian Shaw because I right now he's not necessarily performing uh, the best based on his last Worlds. He's done well. Like, he's come fifth twice and people are writing him off. It's quite funny. Um, but I'd love to be able to be the person that took him from fifth to first because I think that would be um, quite fun. doesn't happen very often. Once people get to the top and then they start declining. You know what? It's a weird question because I never look at it as oh, I really want to go back Because I you know, whether it's it's you know, athletes level like you, high high you know, national level athletes, uh, international level athletes, or just my my guys who are just they've just started out in strongman, I just love to see progress. So I really don't care who I train and it's a really weird thing. I, I thought you would say, I, I'm similar. Someone asked me this question yeah. and I said, it was, it's a random client that I train. And they were like, yeah. oh, I didn't think that. Why? I was yeah. like, well, because when they got him, he was here yeah. and now he's here yeah. and he did the most progression and he's got the best attitude. And then the last question before we finish is, what is your <sighs> favorite loading scheme for strength? Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I don't want to be, I don't want to give you a crappy answer. It depends. Um, so let's look at, That's up there. I hate doing them. Obviously, Charles has cost um, I prefer now uh, things like 1-3 or 1-6 potentiation and doing things like that. Because you can do so many things with a single or a triple with a potentiation. I thought you was going to say... Yeah, it's similar. Um, similar. Similar one. The but then AR also, drops. if you looked at... If we call it a protocol... I do love Very similar. mini sessions. I did them in the build up to worlds in 2017. Now in 2017, I didn't have the greatest, sorry, 20. Yeah. 2017. I didn't have the greatest performance at worlds. I finished sixth or seventh world, um, but I was in the shape of my life. And in the lead up to that, I was doing lots of mini sessions. Now recently I've been, you know, re re redoing that, but only twice a week, which is allowing me much better recovery and results. So I would, I train 30, 30 to 40 minutes on 30 minutes off three uh, times. 
and I've, I'm back up to 160, 170 in very, very quick time. And I think it's probably because that suits me now. Yeah, so you get a teeny bit more volume, but you also get a lot more quality because you get that rest in between. I prefer that to tour days. For me, once I've stopped training, I'm done. I'm not interested in it anymore. I'm winding down. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, to get, trying to have a level field, whereas when I go back to training, I need to get back up for it again. And I don't want to do that in the evening. I want to kind of hold a level state. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly go. Mr. Four AM. Yeah. Four train at five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> uh, and then the rest of the day I'm, I'm chilled. But yeah. <laughs> I want to train with you. I want to train with you on Christmas Eve. From what yeah, time? Yeah, you can come. We'll be we're like warming up at like five thirty. It's yeah, weird, man. isn't it? Yeah. I'm an Fuck, no, I'm no. an early bird. I'm an early bird. <laughs> yeah, probably not going to come, Tom. Yeah. I feel so sorry for your training partners because I know that they yeah. have to work around. Well, not training partners. The guys yeah. train similar time to yeah. you because I know they have to deal with you <laughs> being there at 5.30. Yeah, I'm addicted yeah. to it. Oh, it's been great fun. Yeah. Right, buddy. Thank you very I much. Really appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Um, and I'll speak to you soon.